Last week we started the series called, and uh, we started with this idea, and it's the words of Jesus, many are called, but few are chosen. And we began by explaining that called, many are called is like God calls everybody, and it's not saying many are chosen, like really he's saying everybody, but he really just means a few people. It's sort of like tonight, it's like the whole city is called if they want to be here, they could be here or they could have found themselves in another church today, but only a few chosen to be there. Only a few are chosen. Only Chosen's always our way of responding to God in the New Testament. That word's like our response to God. God calls and we choose. We become chosen as we respond to him. And, and just sort of talking about that, that we are all called, but we actually want to live the kind of life that shows that we are chosen. In Revelation 17, there's this beautiful picture sort of of the end of times, and it's of the Lamb, it's of Jesus, and it says, standing with the Lamb in victory are those who are called, those who are chosen, and those who are faithful. And I just think that's a beautiful picture. God calls us, and we want to respond in such a way that we are chosen and we are faithful in that choosing, that we live out this called life that God has for us. And that's what I want for every single one of us. So if you miss anything tonight, know this, that you are called and you can become chosen. It's up to you. Our callings are multidimensional. We talked about that, that it's not just like one thing, but actually like there's all different angles. And through the series, we're going to look at it through different angles. It's like we're called to our families. We're called to God. We're called to relationships. We're called to God's church. We're called to different work and vocation. We're called to different assignments. We're called to doing good. Actually, our calling's a really big idea, not just a, a one answer of what your calling is. And so we're going to explore all of those different aspects. And, and really, what I'm hoping is going to happen over these next sort of 10 or 12 weeks is that we are going to find ourselves on Monday filled with purpose and filled with God's presence. That we're going to find ourselves, no matter the season, no matter the job, no matter the environment, we're going to experience deep purpose in our lives and we're going to experience God's presence everywhere we go in our lives. And I think if we can grab a hold of what the Spirit wants to do through the teachings over this next little time, that is the transformation that will happen for every single one of us. Because we want to be good at playing our part in His story. Our vision here is to be a people pursuing the way of Jesus and playing our part in his story and understanding and living in our callings is all about learning to play our part in his story. We put up um, this model, and if we could put that up, that's amazing. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, this is what we put up last week, and this is going to be the journey, and it's quite opposite to the journey most of us go on when we're trying to figure out our callings. We normally start in the middle. It's like, God, what sort of job am I supposed to have in this life? What am I supposed to do for work? And jobs are important. We spend a lot of time in our lives doing them, but really that's not the place to start to figure out your calling. That's actually the last piece that often falls into place for us, we actually start with our life under God that God cares most about you. And he cares about who you're becoming more than anything else. We need to understand the calling that God is, has for our relationship with him and our character transformation into the likeness of Jesus. Then we need to understand our calling, all the good things that God has called us to. He's called us to our families. He's called us to help strangers. He's called us to be generous. He's called us to do good works. And as we begin to live life in that sort of place, we're actually tapping into our calling. Then we get into it, ministry 
ministry. Ministry just means service. It doesn't mean like that you have to work for a church or anything. It just means that our service to God and God has a special assignment. God has special gifts. God has special service for every single one of us. In our time, in our place, there's work that God has assigned to us, not to anyone else. And we better discover what it is so that we can fulfill our purposes in this earth. And then there's our job. And actually, what we'll, when we get to those weeks about our job, we'll realize that the job thing's a journey thing, not a moment in time. It's not like you find the perfect job at 22 years old, and then it's just static for the rest of your life. There's seasons, there's journeys, there's growth, there's tests, there's transformation, there's preparation, there's seasons where we've got to bring calling to our work, and there's seasons when actually our work brings calling to us. And we're going to learn about that. So, but we're going to start tonight, right at the beginning, we're going to start with that word up the top there, God. We're going to start with God. Because as much as we are all called, and it's good for us to know that, we are called by God. And that's tonight's title, Called by God. And you could like circle by, and you could underline it, you got to highlight it, you could put that on that, because who calls us matters. Who calls us really matters. It seems like getting lost has become a thing of the past, but I remember times when people got lost, like pre-phones with GPSs and the little blue dot that can find you no matter where you are, pre that, people used to get lost. I remember going on family holidays, and our family, we had a V-dub combi. I didn't realize how cool it was. I was embarrassed by it back then. I was like, oh, my parents are hippies. This is so weird. Pick me up in something else from school. Ah, your smoke's blowing out the back. And, but I remember we'd go on family holidays, and mum would have this map that folded out, and it got bigger and bigger and was like over the whole thing and dad would be driving and, and, and he always liked to take back roads to places and, and we would be lost. We wouldn't know where we are and you're trying to figure out on this map. I know I'm speaking like half of the people, you're like, what, a map? Uh, a paper map, yeah, a real thing. Like this, uh, this other thing used to happen when people invited you over for dinner if you hadn't been to their house before and you didn't know the street name, like they used to tell you, oh, it's off so-and-so street and blah, blah, blah. And you'd get, you open your glove box in your car, you'd get this book out and you'd go to the back of it and you'd search the street name and it would tell you what page the map's on and what quadrant, like A6, page 26. And you'd flick through and you'd find their street. And in your own mind, you had to figure out your own imaginary blue dot and you had to like figure out the path yourself to the place. And if you got lost along the way, you had to find a street sign, go back to the back, go back to the quadrant, and start the whole process again. It was a real thing. And uh, I don't know, maybe you've been lost in the bush, or maybe you've been traveling overseas, and you, you know, you're trying to navigate the subway system, and you've been lost, or the public train, or just lost in a huge airport. But the, the key is when you're lost, the key to getting found is getting a reference point. You need to know where you are. You need something to start basing your information off if you want to get unlost. I mean, I, I love that series, Man vs. Wild. Anyway, yeah, Bear Grylls. I just, we have to take a moment and just think, what, at some point, a mum and dad were having a baby, and they thought, what should we name this little boy? And they thought, let's name him Bear Grylls. And from that point on, he was destined to become like the ultimate and manly manless. It's like, 
It's incredible. Bear Grylls is some name inspiration. But he would, he would be dropped into the middle of nowhere, no maps, no little GPS thing, and he'd have to find his way out. And he'd use the sun and the stars and landscapes and navigate rivers. And he had all these different ways, but he created reference points to get unlost. And if we want to figure out our calling, we need the reference point of God in our lives. I know some people here, you're builders. When you're going to build a house, the last thing you want to do is begin building and only to find out that you've built it in the wrong place. That's why the first thing before you start building, you're building a new property. From my understanding, the surveyors come in first and they make sure the boundary pegs are in the exact right place. And then from that, you've got your point of reference so you can figure out where the corner of the house is going to begin and you start profiling it out and you start figuring it out from there. We don't want to spend our whole time building our lives, rushing around, chasing after things, studying, doing this, going through this relation, that relationship, only to realize we started from the wrong place. We don't want to waste any time here. Life's really short and it can be really long when you make bad decisions too. And so we want to get the right reference point. Who we're called by matters and he is our reference point. Proverbs 9 verse 10, one of the most important scriptures in all of the Bible says this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you'll become the one to benefit. And if you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. I've heard different people talk about this verse over different times, and I think we misunderstand what this fear means. Some people like are like, oh, it doesn't really mean fear, it just means to be respectful, or it doesn't mean like, because it doesn't fit within our like loving God, our, our like, but no, it means fear. It means fear. There's words for like respectful, and there's words for reverence. That's not this word. This word is fear. Every time God turns up in the Old Testament and reveals himself to people, they're terrified. And God has to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But the fear, to have fear is about having a proper relationship with God. And I fear these days that many of us are brought up with a relationship with God that overemphasizes God as friend, Jesus as my buddy, God's love, which is powerful and amazing and transforming, but we don't have the right respect. We don't have, like, we don't understand the holiness of God. It talks about the love of God, I think, six times in the scripture. It talks about the holiness of God 419 times. He's very other than us. He's very majestic. There needs to be this mystery, this wonder, this, this sort of like, this wonder, this, this like, oh, he's other than me. I, I don't want to get overly familiar with God. I want to be familiar with him, but not overly familiar. I want to be close relationally, but not so much that I drag him down to my level and treat him with contempt. Some of you are doing that with your parents, and so you're doing it with God. Right, like we, we don't know what it is to honor people in these different statuses than us, and so we, we don't know how to do it with God, but we need to reclaim that with God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning, is the foundation of wisdom. And really, fear is interesting because like, fear creates healthy boundaries. 
Like when I, I heard someone say this morning that their friend saw a four and a half meter great white shark out there the other day. So when they got invited to go surfing at the island the following day, they thought, no thanks. Right, because the fear creates a healthy boundary. If you're terrified of heights, the fear keeps you from the edge and from falling. It's, it's a healthy thing. But here in the scripture, it's not so much talking about the emotional response as it's talking about a posture in our lives towards God. And Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, actually, I believe, explains what the posture of the fear of the Lord looks like in our lives. So we can know, do I have the fear of the Lord? How do I muster up being terrified? No, no, no. This will explain the posture of somebody who fears the Lord. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. And then the rest of this could be understood as an explanation of what that looks like. Live in a way that pleases Him. Love Him. Serve him with all your heart and your soul, and you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. So how do we know if we're fearing the Lord? Well, we're living in a way that pleases him, that concerns us. We're loving him. We're serving him with our heart and our soul, and we're obeying his words. We're treating them with weight, not as great options, but as commands, as instructions that are for our benefit. Really, like God is the realest real thing that there is. And so if you don't take him into account when you consider your life, it's likely your life will result in foolishness because any truths that you think you've found are not based on the ultimate truest true thing. And that's what this is all getting about, that the fear of the Lord, this proper relationship with the Lord is how we begin to know wisdom because when we respect him as such, when we're postured with him as such, now we can begin to learn and order our lives under him appropriately. Why do I say all of this? Because in this day and age, we are very tempted to begin and end with self. Our callings, our destinies, our purposes. But we didn't call the series Destiny, and we didn't call it that because Destiny's got the sense of like faceless fate to it. There's no one behind it, it's just the way the universe has organized it. And that's not what we're talking about here. We didn't call it purpose, although that would be fine, but purpose is often something we try and muster up. We come up with a purpose for our organization or a purpose for our business or a purpose for things. We're calling it calling because for it to be a calling, someone has to call. And in our lives, God actually calls us. That there's, there's this personhood, this godly, beautiful, majestic, holy personhood behind the calling on our lives. I read this in a social commentary. It said, for many people today to set aside their own path in order to conform to some external authority just doesn't seem comprehensible as a form of spiritual life. For many people today to set aside their own path in order to conform to some external authority just doesn't seem comprehensible as a form of spiritual life. The injunction, that is the authoritative warning or the order, is, in the words of a speaker at a New Age festival, only accept what rings true to you and your own inner self. Now, the problem is, is we have like 
Christian versions of exactly these same things, of this pseudo-wisdom, of the secular wisdom where we go, well, if you want to know, just look inside yourself. Just figure out what you're gifted in. Just figure out what you're like. Just figure out what the desires of your heart are and pursue it. And we put these Christian words over this, this very ungodly worldview that says, if you want to find your way in life, just look inside yourself, that you're actually a really good guide. Well, it turns out humans suck at guiding themselves. And we lead ourselves into all sorts of foolishness. And if we don't understand that we're actually in this, we're in this world of two things going on. One, where we think that our inner selves are like the best guides ever. Look where that's getting people. That is not a way to make decisions about our calling. And the other thing that's going on in our culture that we're being brought up in is that anything external that is asking us to do anything that doesn't align with our sense of inner self is somehow oppressive. And, and we're, like if, if the government says anything, if our parents say anything, if, any, if our boss says anything, if the culture says anything, if the pastor says anything, if God says anything that doesn't align with what I think is true, or what I already believe is true, it's, it's seen as oppressive, and therefore it needs to be taken away. Now, if we, get, if we continue to be formed in that worldview, we're gonna have a real hard time following Jesus. Because Jesus is gonna ask you to do things that you don't agree with. And Jesus is gonna call you to do things that you don't wanna do at the time. And he's going to ask you to give things you don't want to give and to sacrifice things you don't want to sacrifice. Yesterday, I was at a stag uh, party thing and uh, somebody was being thrown in really cold water um, and it got us onto the conversation of thermoregulating, like the, the process of sitting in cold water, having an ice bath or whatever. And one of the guys was like, that's just so silly. If it was good for you, it would be enjoyable. And every, yeah. And quickly all the rest of the guys are like, that's really bad logic. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that back actually. Because it's like, I really love cake, but it doesn't mean it's good for me. But, but this is, we're, we're suddenly being tricked into these worldviews that if it's like, if it's, if it's God, it'll be good. It'll be feel good. I want to do it. It'll be convenient. It'll be the right time. It'll all line up. It'll all be perfect. And if we get tricked by these things, by buying into this way of seeing it, we'll have a real hard time like actually following the Lord. And he'll have a real hard time leading us. And he'll be the, the mess, you know, uh, picker-upper all of the time in our lives because he is the great redeemer. But it's way better not to make the mess in the first place. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says. He's the one who initiates and he's the one who brings it to completion. Genesis 1.1, if you open up your Bible to the beginning, you can almost get all of the wisdom you need for life out under God in the first five words. In the beginning, God. Is that four words or five? Four. In the first four words. Look, you don't even need five words, just four. Beginnings, just got a few syllables, that's all. Uh, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Joel. Not in the beginning curate, not in the beginning you, not in the beginning your parents, in the beginning God. The story starts with him. It's his design, it's his initiation, it's his plan, it's his world. We are his creation. He's coming back, he's got a plan. And therefore, he's the one who calls. He's the one who gives purpose. He's the one who invites us into his story. 
Psalm 139 verse 13 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderful, uh, wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. What a beautiful revelation of the psalmist to realize I'm not here by accident. God's presence went before me. It's going to come after me. He's going to be with me. Even in the womb where I didn't even know I was a a thing. When I didn't even have a sense of identity or personhood, God knew me in that place. And he had a plan for my life. I don't think he laid out every, you know, saying he knew his like every moment, but he had a plan. He, He laid out what could be for our lives. He dreamed it. Before we even knew we needed a dream, he already had a dream. Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Thank you, Jesus. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Salvation is not for the good Christians, for the people who get it all together. It's, none of us can boast about it. It's a free gift from God. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before you had a dream, God had a plan. Before you had a desire, God had a plan. We need to remember, God is not entering our story. We're entering his story. I know we talk about it like invite Jesus into your life, but what's really happening in that moment is you're actually being invited into the life that is Jesus. And God's welcoming you into his story and you're getting caught up in that life. He's not coming into you at all. You're coming into him is actually what's happening. And we need to realize that when we talk about callings, we're not talking about our dreams. We're not talking about our desires We're not talking about our ambitions. We're not talking about our egos. We're not talking about our hopes, our plans, our inner sense of who we are or what we deserve. We're talking about being called by God, that he has a plan for our lives, that he has desires for our lives, and he's inviting us to enter into them. These days, sometimes when people start jobs, I haven't experienced this, but I've heard it from others. We'll just put, throw that caveat out there before the staff get nervous. <laughs> Our staff are awesome. But when, when people start jobs, sometimes they come into the workplace and they're like, well, here's what I was thinking I'd be doing. Here's the hours I was thinking I'd be working. Here's the sort of like, oh, here's what I'm willing to do and here's what I'm not willing to do. But any employer knows that that's not what you're looking for when you hire someone. You're looking for someone that shows up and goes, boss, what did you have in mind when you hired me? I mean, you put out the job advert, you accepted me into the role, how can I best contribute? What do you want from me? When do you want me here? How do you want me to think about this? How do you want me to go about this? What's the plan? How do you want me to contribute? And that's how it's supposed to be when we come into the God life. We don't come with all our caveats. Like someone joining a sports team being like, I don't do trainings, just letting you know. Oh, I also don't do tackling. I don't do that. 
I just do the running, I do the water, uh, you know, I'll do all of the nice, easy, I'll do the try scoring, but I'm not interested in the defense. I just want the attack. Like, that's not, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's, it reminds me of like our kids every night when, we, when it's dishes time and we don't have a roster and before you judge me, it's just we can't be bothered with the roster, okay? We'd rather the daily fights. Um, <laughs> that's true. It's different kids are out every night, I can't figure it out, so it's just the divvy, the, the, the divvy up the jobs based on whoever's home at the time. But there's always jobs that, you know, it's like washing seems to be the worst job in our house. People are okay with the clearing. Someone's trying to convince you that putting away is an actual job. Everybody knows that putting away is not a job, okay? That's a part of one of the other jobs. You know, it's like, I'll wipe the table. That's, yep, you will, and do these other three things. But, you know, but there's always this fight, and, 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 and people have these, like, oh, this is what I'm willing to do. It's like, no, just, just do what you're asked. Just do the plan. Everyone will have a different job, and it will all work together. When it comes to our calling, we have to start with God, not ourselves. Hopefully, that's, that's my big point tonight. Hopefully, it's coming across. We have to start. It's like, yeah, don't hit me from another side with it. Um, it's a life under God, not life under self. Calling isn't about being true to yourself. Screw that. Be faithful to God. Here's the thing. We can trust how he calls us because he knows us better than we know ourselves. What he has for us is good. We don't have to have these caveats. Like sometimes people are like, well, God, I'm willing to you know, do a few things, not anything, but a few things. Just don't send me to Africa. You know, and then we're sort of like, oh no, I said it. Now he knows I don't want to go. Oh, he's probably going to send me there as a test. Like, we have these sort of like moments. It's like, now I'm a Jonah. What am I going to do? You know, it's like, now God knows what's good for us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. I was at um, a pastor's conference last week because Katie had been invited to speak there. And uh, I was sitting there and, and she just did a fantastic job speaking to these few hundred pastors and it was amazing, but I was thinking about 10 years ago when I couldn't even get her to stand in front of the church, a small little church where she was terrified. She didn't feel like she had anything to say. She didn't feel like it was her calling. She didn't feel like it was her role. She was, she was happy being behind the scenes. And then God started to say through other people, actually, you do have a voice and your voice matters. And, you know, it got really serious because I remember one of like, after about four or five prophetic words, somebody came and gave the word and said, hey, um, there's no guarantee God will ask you again. It's sort of like, you know, it's, it's, you've been asked. Like, and this is a trusted person. They said it with love. It's like, like God's asked you many times. Either, either receive his word, receive his instruction, trust it and step into it, or you might miss it. And, you know, when I was, I was sitting there this week, just seeing her just do amazing, I was thinking, aren't we thankful that God calls us? that he knows us better because she is fully alive, making a huge difference in other people's lives because God knows us best. He knows us best. So I was thinking about that, even myself becoming a pastor. I was thinking, if you'd asked me at 15, do you want to be a pastor? It would have been, hell no. I wouldn't have even known there was a job. Like there was a thing like to be. And then even after I met Jesus, like two years later, if you asked me at 17, it would have been no. And if you asked me at 21, it would have been no. 
If you ask me, like, right before I became a pastor, and even right after, it was sort of a little bit, no. (laughs) But at 36, I'm very thankful God knew me better than I knew myself. I'm very thankful that God knew how he had gifted me, how he had made me, what was truly going to help me make a difference, bring true contentment and a sense of purpose in my lives. And I wonder if we're willing to trust that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Trust him beyond our insecurities, Trust them beyond our desires. Trust them beyond all of our conditions that we've, you know, decided God has to work within in our lives and just go, God, whatever you want, because I'm called by you. Some people misunderstand this verse, Psalm 37, verse 3 to 5. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. That's an awesome instruction. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight, and make note of that word delight. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. And I've heard a lot of people, they emphasize just a few words in these few sentences. He will give you your heart's desires. Right, We, we create a, a faith journey that's shaped around a few verses taken into context. It doesn't say, he will give you your heart's desires. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. The Hebrew word for delight doesn't just mean to find joy in. It actually means to be molded by. It's, it's like a word picture of like clay on a potter's wheel and that you take delight in the hands of the Lord forming you however he wants to form you. And if you've ever seen pottery done, it's like it starts as a lump. That's you today, a lump. And it starts spinning. Things look like you're going crazy and then you, you take a bit off and you take a bit off and you squeeze it. Oh, oh don't squeeze me, Lord. So you're just supposed to bless me. That squeezes us, shapes us, peels bits out, then gets the little tools in there, you know, and starts scratching away and starts doing things. Take delight in the Lord. Like let him have his way with your life and then he will give you your heart's desires. And why will he give them to you then? Because your desires have been molded after his desires. He's not gonna give you your worldly desires. He's going to give you the God-formed desires that he deposits or that he reveals were already deposited in you long ago. God has a really big story he's inviting us into. It's huge. It starts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden as priests, prophets, and kings. Puts them there as priests who love the Lord and walk with the Lord. Puts them there as Prophets to know the word of the Lord and to pass the word of the Lord on generation to generation. And he puts them there as kings and queens to take dominion over the garden, to not just keep the garden, but to expand the garden throughout all of the earth. And we know that they failed a bit in their job. They lost their way. There was unclean things in the garden like the serpent. They tried to take life into their own hands and they found themselves thrown out of what God had originally intended. But God hasn't given up on the project. And the scriptures start in a garden and they finish in Revelation in a garden city. They finish with this beautiful picture of, yes, a more sophisticated humanity, but a humanity under God as priests living with God 
as prophets living in the word of God and as kings and queens partnered with God in taking dominion over all of the earth and being fruitful and multiplying the kingdom everywhere we go. And this is the grand story written from the beginning of time and it'll be written till the end of time and he's calling us to be a part of it. Through all those circles of who we are, with our life, with the good, with our jobs, with our ministry, he's calling us. And I wonder if we can trust that he calls us well to play the right role within it. He has for each of us a part for us to play. I love what um, Ephesians 4, 7 says. It says, but to each one of us, a grace, a gift has been given as Christ apportioned it. You know, he didn't give us all the same gifts. He didn't give us all the same roles. He didn't give us all the same stories. He didn't give us all the same challenges. He didn't give us all the same. He distributes as he sees fit because we're called by God. And he's got a master plan and he's inviting us into it. He doesn't call the qualified. He doesn't call the perfect people. He qualifies those he calls. You don't have to have everything ready to serve the Lord. You just have to have a yes. And God can work with that. Yeah, you might look to your left and your right and think, well, I don't have their gifts and I could never do that. I don't have their confidence. I don't have their background, but it doesn't matter. God has apportioned something to you. Why did God choose Peter to lead his early church? I don't know. Seemed like John would have been a good or better option to me. Seemed way nicer. But he chose Peter. He chose John to do something else. He chose Thomas to do something else. Why did God choose any of the people in the Scriptures? I don't know. It's God's plan. He gets to choose whoever he wants. He's God, right? And so I don't know why some end up with this role and some end up with a calling to business and some end up with these things going on in their families and some are called to other countries. I don't know why it's all that way. Why some are called to teach and why some are called to help. And I, I don't know why, but God does. And he has a plan. I think people will understand that we're called by God, have three traits in their life. And you can use these traits in some way to measure where you're at in this journey of being called by God. The first is this, people who are called by God are open. They're so open to God that people who understand that they're called by God are open. They're not going, God, I'll do whatever as long as it's, you know, we're not going, God, I've got three hours next month. You can work inside that. That'll be awesome. I'll give that up to you. The people who just go, God, wherever you want me to go, Whoever you want me to serve, wherever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, whatever you need from me in this season, I am there. God works with open people. We've got to be open if we understand that we're called by God. We need to be like, you know, missionaries, they have this like sense of faith adventure. You know, it's like, oh, living by faith. What, what's God going to do next? What has he got? The, the, on that, they haven't boundaried their whole lives. We're all supposed to live like that. God, you can do whatever you want. The second trait is this, is that they're humble. That is that they're ready to be directed. They listen before they make decisions. They ask God, God, do you want me to spend this? God, do you want me to go there? God, you know, is this job the right job? God, is this relationship the right relationship? They're humble before the Lord. They trust Him. They give room for Him. 
to actually direct them. And the third thing is this, is that they are secure. They're secure in their own role that God has called them to play. They're not looking over at the left lane or the right lane. They're not looking over at the other paddock, wondering if the grass is greener. They're celebrating other people's success, understanding God has something for them. And it doesn't matter if somebody else is accelerating way faster than they are. They know it's like, oh no, God's got something for me. I'm called by God. I'm not in competition with anyone. So let's be open as we go on this journey. Let's be humble and let's be secure so that God can truly have his way in our lives. Because man, he's got a plan. And I just want to live his plan, not my own plan. 